0: Well, guys, let's get into our message today. So we have been in our study going through the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has been teaching us and he has been showing us how we are to live in the kingdom of heaven, how we are to live under God's authority, how we are to live as salt and light. And he has been teaching us how to do that. And last week we saw how much our family and our co-workers and our neighbors uh, and our friends need us to live upside down. They need us to live as salt and light. They need us to be different. And, and Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, today, we're going to see that we can do good things like giving and prayer and fasting but we can do them with wrong motives. And so not only are we are going to look at those three spiritual disciplines, but we are also going to see some practical ways that we can begin to check our hearts or check our motives. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go ahead and turn with me over to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6, verse 1, as we begin. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you're looking forward, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible comes uh, in a group of four books that we call the Gospels. Uh, and that word gospel simply means good news because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the good news about Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table in the hallway, so please pick one up as a gift from us. We would love to give you uh, a copy of God's Word for you to have on your own. So guys, will you read along with me in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 1. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let's pause here for just a moment, okay? This verse is going to become the anchor for everything that we're gonna talk about today. So we need to keep this verse in our minds. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before other people to be seen by others. But Jesus, didn't you just tell us to do good so others can see in chapter 5? Isn't that what you just told us to do? So, which is it? Uh, is it do good so others can see or is it uh, do and, and not be seen? Well, there is a difference between being seen and doing something to be seen, right? There's a difference in being seen and doing something to be seen. And it all comes down to a matter of our hearts. It all comes down to a matter of our motivation, our motives. Now, unlike God, you and I cannot weigh or judge the hearts or the intentions or the motives of other people. We can't. We're not God. We don't have that type of insight into people's hearts and lives. We can't judge other people's motives or intentions. A verse that we looked at last week, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, says, a person may think their own ways are right, but God weighs the heart. God weighs the heart. God weighs our motives, we, we cannot weigh our motives, the w- motives of others, but we can weigh our own motives. We can judge our own hearts. Taylor, will you ask Paul to turn the um, pre-show off? I think that's what's popping. So, sorry, it's distracting me. So I don't know if it's distracting you or not. <laughs> um, so God is the one who weighs our motives. He's the one who weighs our our hearts, right? and And, and we can't judge and weigh the hearts and the motives of other people, but we can judge and weigh our own hearts and our own motives. I love what Mark Moore writes about these two chapters. He says, chapter five gave six illustrations of public moral behaviors. That's what we looked at last week, right? And with each of these six, Jesus gives us this warning to check our motives, Chapter 6 is going to give us three illustrations of religious duties, right? Or, or spiritual disciplines is another term that we can use for that. Giving, prayer, and fasting. And with each three of these, Jesus will say, check your motives, check your hearts. So as we look at these three spiritual disciplines, let's keep Jesus' words from verse 1 in our minds, Right? because these are going to give us the foundation as we move forward and look at giving and prayer and fasting. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So let's dig in to these three spiritual disciplines as we keep in mind Jesus's words. Look at verse two as we talk about giving. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I say to you, they will receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward You. So for Jesus, notice what he says here. He doesn't say, if you give to the needy, but he says, when you give to the needy. It's not a question of if, but when we give to the needy. When we give to the needy, we need to to check our motives. It comes down to our heart, it comes down to our motives. When we give, are we giving so that we are seen or are we giving so that God is seen? When we give, are we giving so that we are honored or are we giving so that God is honored? Now, Jesus here is talking specifically about our giving to help the needs of other people, giving to the needy. But this principle about giving and about checking our motives can be applied to all the giving that we are to do. So when we are giving, are we giving so that we are seen or so that God is seen? So let's talk a minute about money, all right? Now when I do premarital counseling with couples who are getting married, there are three things that I like to talk about. And if you've done premarital counseling with me, uh, then you know those three things that I like to talk about. I like to talk about in-laws, I like to talk about sex, and I like to talk about money. Do you know which of those three things that people are the most uncomfortable talking about? Money. (laughs) Money. Money is the number one topic of fights in marriage. Money Fights are the, is the second leading cause of divorce in America. Money stress is the second leading stressor in people's lives today. And it used to be the first until this past year, and then job stressors have overtaken money stress this past year, right? Money is such a hot topic, and for most of us, it's so uncomfortable for us to talk about uh, among other people. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a house where we didn't talk about money at all. We we just never talked about it at all. And so it became very uncomfortable for us to discuss. So why is it that money and money fights are at the center of disagreements in marriages and is the leading or the second leading cause of stress in our lives? Well, later on in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus is going to tell us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be as well. And friends, when you are married and you and your spouse's treasure is going in two separate directions and isn't aligned, then your hearts aren't going to be aligned, and that's going to lead to trouble. So here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. And what that means is that every day we are joyfully giving God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. And we are trusting that Jesus is all that we need and we are being transformed by who he is and what he has done. So we give every day back to God, all that we are and all that we have. Because the reality is all that we are and all that we have is God's anyway. We are fully dependent on him. We do not exist without him. And so when we give, it helps remind us of this truth. It helps remind us that God is the owner of everything, ourselves included, and so he is also the owner of our stuff and our money. We are simply the managers of it. Everything that we are and have is God's, and we are simply the managers. The Bible uses a word that we don't use that often in our culture, but the word steward or stewardship, right? And that word "steward" stewardship basically means manager, right? It means that when we are good stewards of what God has given us, that means that God's the owner, we're not the owner. We are simply managing what God has entrusted us with. God owns our time, he owns our talents, and he owns our treasure. And we are simply supposed to be managing it God's way. Giving helps us to remember that God is the owner and we are the managers. Everything that we are and everything that we have is God's. And so when we give, we are to give to the work of God's kingdom, and we are to give to help meet the needs of other people. Now, giving to the work of God's kingdom means that we give to his church, whether that's Journey Church or whether it's another church or another ministry. And also, we are to give to other people to help meet their needs. We see this all through the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. The church would give to help meet the needs of other people. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Is giving a matter of salvation? No. If we don't give a dime, will we still be in all eternity in God's presence? Yes, because our salvation is based on our faith in Jesus and the grace that he has given us. But if we have been given everything from God, we are in turn going to want to give to God. We are going to want to give back to him because it will help us to align and remember who the owner is and that we are simply the managers. We will be transformed to give the best of everything that we are and everything that we have back to God. Now, I want to share what that looks like in the Hamilton household, not to brag, but to give you an example uh, that maybe you can learn from. For us in the Hamilton household, the very first line on our budget is God. Before we pay our electric bill, before we pay our food bill, before we pay our mortgage, God is at the very top, very top, of our budget because that reminds us that God is the owner and we are simply the managers. And so before we give to any or before we take care of any other bills, we give back to God's work that he is doing here at Journey Church. Now, we also give to two other uh, church plants that are starting this year And then also on top of that, we also uh, give from time to time to help meet the needs of other people, whether that's participating in uh, a gift that we're trying to collect as the church, or whether that's just handing people money that we know are in need, or helping somebody pay a bill, or sometimes we just put some money in an envelope and, and put it in the mail and don't even say who it's from. But every time that we give, whether it's to the work of God's kingdom here at Journey Church or to give to the needs of others, we have to come back to this same verse every single time and we have to check our hearts and check our motives. Are we giving so that we are seen or are we giving so that God is seen? Now, maybe you're here and you say, okay, yes, Thomas, I understand that I need to give, but I I need to know how much I'm supposed to give. Well, first, I want you to understand, I want you to understand and realize that God doesn't need your money, but He wants your hearts. And and Jesus says, Where our treasure is, there our heart will be as well. So God doesn't need your money, but He wants your hearts. Now, in the Old Testament, we see this principle of a tithe, okay? And that word tithe means 10%. It's a percentage. And, And Israel was. Uh, encouraged to give uh, the first 10% of everything they earn from their crops to their cattle uh, to their money back to God to help them to recognize that they are simply the managers of what God owns, right? So they were encouraged to give that 10%. Um, The word tithe means 10%. So if you give 11%, it's not a tithe, If you If you give 9%, it's not a tithe, right? Because the word tithe means 10%. Okay, Um, but but that is not a rule; it's a principle. Okay, it's a principle. It's not a a rule; it's a principle because it's not about an amount; it's about your heart that God wants. This is a rule, not a principle. God doesn't need our money, but He wants our hearts. All right, Paul he writes to the Corinthian church to remind them of a promise that they had already made. They had wanted to give to help meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem who was facing a famine. And so they uh, they wanted to give to that. And so Paul is, ca- is writing to them to remind them about that promise that they've already made. And so he gives them these instructions to help them make sure that they are checking their hearts and their motives. And we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, when you give, you should give in secret. Is your giving done so that you are seen or so that God is seen? Your giving is done between you and God, not anyone else. So give what you and God have decided to give. If you're married, what you and your spouse and God have decided to give. And then give generously. Is it 10% or 1% or 50%? That's not important. What God wants is your hearts. So decide what you will give and then give cheerfully. I love the story of Charles Spurgeon and his wife. Charles Spurgeon was a a preacher who lived long ago. But him and his wife uh, used to sell, but they refused to give away the eggs that their chicken laid. Now, I don't know how the prices of eggs were then, but they're kind of like gold today, right? (laughs) So they would refuse to give them away, even to close family. Close family said, yeah, you can have some, but you have to pay for them. And so uh, the Spurgeons got uh, this this label of being greedy. And they accepted that criticism without trying to defend themselves at all. And it was only after both uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Spurgeon had died that the full story was revealed. They were giving all of the profits of the sale of those eggs to help care for two widows that were in need. And yet... They were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing. And so they endured attacks in silence without defending themselves because simply they wanted to give to honor God and help take care of the needs of others. So, so when you're giving, whether it's here at Journey Church or whether it's at another church or to take care of the needs of other people, when you are giving, are you doing it so that you are seen? so that God is seen? Who gets the credit for your giving? So Jesus talks about giving and then he moves on to talk about prayer. Look at with me there at verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans and they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need. Uh, your father excuse me, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So again, Jesus doesn't say if you pray, right? What's he say? But when you pray? When you pray, Jesus expects that prayer will be a central part of our everyday lives. He says, when you pray, we need to make sure we are checking our motives. Are we praying so that we are seen or are we praying so that God is seen? Friends, if we follow Jesus, we will pray. Prayer was a central part of Jesus's life, and he's the son of God. So how much more does prayer need to be a part of our lives? Jesus prayed all the time. Now, we're going to roll through a couple of verses to kind of just see how much prayer was a central part of Jesus' life. And uh, if you don't get to write all these verses down, uh, we have a digital bulletin on our website. Again, go to jointhejourney.church, go to digital bulletin, and you can see all of these verses that we're getting ready to roll through. Suzanne, you ready? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place where he what? prayed. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to do what? Pray. And he spent the night, what? Praying to God. Mark 6, 46. After leaving them, he went to the mountainside to do what? Pray. John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he what? Prayed. And then the rest of John 17 is Jesus's prayer. So if you want to know what he prayed, go and read the rest of that chapter. And then Matthew 26, 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, where he said to them, sit here while I go over there and what? Pray. Man, and this is just a few. Prayer was a central part of Jesus' life. And if we follow Jesus, prayer needs to be a central part of our lives as well. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. In another place, Paul says that in every situation with prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. Oh, Okay, Thomas, so we, we see that prayer is something that should be a part of our everyday life, but, but I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. What Jesus is going to teach us here. Look back at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Maybe you've heard this prayer before. model of prayer. If you don't know how to pray or what to pray, man, use God, Jesus's example here. You don't have to use this word for word, but use this as an example, as a model for you. Jesus starts prayer with praising God, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That that word hallowed means holy, right? Start with praising God, for who he is and what he has done in your life. And and you know what's interesting? A lot of times when we go to God in prayer, it's because we have a request or we have something going on that's in our life. And if we would start our prayer with praise, it would help remind us of who God is and what he's done. And it would help better place our request and our worries and our concerns. So, So start with praising God for who he is and what he's done. And then, Ask God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is exactly what Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew that he was heading to the cross. He knew that the pain and suffering and the weight of the the sins of the entire world were going to be on his shoulders. And so he goes to his knees and he prays, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Pray for God's will to be done in your lives, in your marriages, and in our church. Pray for God's will to be done. And then ask God to meet your needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Lay out your needs and your requests and your petitions to God. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and to give you the strength to forgive others who have sinned against you. Ask God for help to lead you away from temptation and to deliver you from evil. Use this as a model for your prayer if you don't know what to pray. Another great way to pray is to pray through Scripture. The Psalms are chalked full of examples and words that we can just simply read and pray through Scripture. Use them. You, You can find just about any situation that you find yourself in you can find a psalm that will probably fit it. And so you use that as your prayer. Another great model that I've learned through the years is is the the word acts. I think it's up here on the screen. Again, it's on the bulletin, the digital bulletin, if you want to catch that. But the first is adoration. And again, that's just praise, giving praise to who God is. And the second is confession. We confess our sins to God. And then the third is thanksgiving. Thank God for who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And then the last is supplication, to present your requests to God. Now, for me... My kind of daily rhythm of prayer begins in the morning. Beside my bed, I have my Bible and I have a notebook. And and I try to spend every morning in reading God's word. And sometimes I journal through God's word. Uh, And then in that notebook, I have a list of people that I pray for by name. At the top of that list is my wife, Suzanne. I pray uh, that God would draw her closer to him and that God would draw us closer together. And then I ask God to help me to be the husband that he has called me to be and to forgive me for falling short. And then I pray for my son Camden by name. And I pray that God would raise him up to follow him. And I pray that that God would would make me the, the father that he has called me to be and that he would forgive me for falling short of that every day. And then I have a list of people who are lost, and I pray for them by name. I pray that God would call them to himself. I pray for God uh, that that he would give them, give me opportunities not only to build relationships with them, but also to share the gospel with them. That he would give me words and give me the courage to, to make his son known to them. And then I pray for our city. I pray that revival would take place here in Washington and that God would use me and use us as Journey Church to point other people to him. I I then pray for our church. I pray for some needs that we have in our church. I pray that God would raise up a worship minister, that he would raise up the right person at the right time. I pray that God would raise up student ministry volunteers. And then I pray for some people by name who I know are struggling, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional or or mental. I pray for them by name. I pray that God would work in their lives. And then I close out my prayer time by praying for other marriages. I pray for other marriages by name who I know are struggling or maybe just are on my heart. That's kind of my rhythm of prayer. I, I try to do that every morning. Now, do I miss mornings? Yeah, all the time. Am I perfect? Far from it. But that's what I try to do. Prayer needs to be a central part of our lives if we follow Jesus. But who is getting the credit when we pray? Are we praying so that we are seen or so that God is seen? So Jesus moves from giving to prayer, and then he talks about fasting. Look at verse 16. Jesus says this. you So just like with giving and prayer, with fasting, notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say "If you fast," but "when you fast." Jesus expects that fasting will be a regular part of our lives if we follow Him. I love what Richard Foster writes in his book, Celebration of Disciplines. And if you're looking to grow deeper in any of these spiritual disciplines, I can't, I can't recommend his book highly enough to you. He has chapters on prayer, giving, serving, uh, fasting, meditation, study, all kinds of different things. And he goes really deep into all of these different spiritual disciplines. But he writes this about fasting. He says, In our culture where there's a landscape dotted with shrines to the golden arches, An assortment of pizza temples. Fasting seems out of place and out of step with the times. He says, but fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other good things. But fasting, these things come to the surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as much as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. Fasting is abstaining from something like food or something, other, something else is good so that for a time to redirect our focus on God. Foster continues and says it's sobering to realize that the first time, which is what we just read, the first time that Jesus talks about fasting, he deals with the question of motive. To use good things for our own ends is always a sign of false religion. How easy is it for us to take something like fasting and try to use it to get God to do what we want A lot of times in prayer, we do the same, don't we? We think that God is our magic genie and that prayer and fasting is some way that we can rub the lamp and get our three wishes made. At times, there is such stress upon the blessings and benefits of fasting that we would be tempted to believe that with a little fast that we could have the world, including God, eating out of our hands. But fasting must always and forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained, like the prophetess Anna, who we need to worship with fasting. So friends, whether it's giving or prayer or fasting, what matters the most is our hearts, is our motives. We saw last week that we need to check our motives. We need to check our hearts. And checking our hearts and checking our motives is something that we must do constantly. It's not just a one and done thing, okay? It's not like Duke basketball players, one and done. No, it's something we have to do constantly, okay? Constantly have to check our motives and our hearts. (laughs) Both moral behaviors, Jesus addressed in chapter five, And then these spiritual disciplines that he addresses in chapter 6 are good. And they are things that should be in our lives if we follow Jesus. And yet all of these can be done either with excellent motives or with evil motives. And so we must constantly check our hearts. We must constantly check our motives. As the sage Ice Cube said, we better check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Paul gives us some warnings about communion and the Lord's Supper, but I believe that we can learn from these same principles as we look at these other spiritual disciplines as well. He, He gives us these warnings about the Lord's Supper, but I believe we can also use them to check our motives when we are giving and praying and fasting or doing any of these things as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he writes and says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, talking about us partaking the Lord's Supper and Communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now look, the Corinthian church had a lot of... Of issues. Just go back and read 1 Corinthians sometime, and you'll get a glimpse into some of the issues that they had. But one of them was that when they were gathering as the church together, there were divisions among them. They were divided, there were cliques and divisions taking place. The rich would sit over here in these places of honor, and the poor would go and stand in the corner. And their divisions showed worst of all when they gathered to take communion together. Some were getting drunk, and some were filling up, and some had none to eat at all. And so Paul says you need to check your hearts. You need to check your motives. Now, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we need to check our hearts and our motives, okay? But we also need to check our hearts and our motives when we give and pray and fast as well. So let's learn from 1 Corinthians here to check our motives and check our hearts, right? Notice what the first thing that that Paul says here. He says, when we partake in communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and his resurrection until he comes, right? So who is getting the praise when we partake in the Lord's Supper or when we practice any of these spiritual gifts? Is it you or is it God? You know, the world tells us that we are to do good so that others see us and praise us for doing good. But Jesus tells us to do good, not to be seen, but so that God is seen. So who is getting the recognition? Is it you or is it God? So if we want to check our hearts and we want to check our motives, simply ask that question. Who is going to be recognized Because of this. Secondly, we need to examine ourselves. Look at the next verse in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul continues, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of our Lord. Right. So there's the warning. Okay. So then this is what we do to not have to worry about the warning. Verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. So friends, when we are partaking the Lord's supper or when we are practicing any of these spiritual disciplines, we must check our motives. We must examine ourselves. And friends, in order for us to examine our hearts and our motives and ourselves, we first must be honest with ourselves. John writes in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, he says if we claim to be without sin, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Friends, when we are examining ourselves, it's essential for us to be honest with ourselves and not to deceive ourselves. We must admit our sin and our mistakes and our shortcomings. We need to say, I have messed up. We need to own that and say that we've sinned. Because if we aren't honest with ourselves, then we aren't going to be honest with anyone else, including God. You, like me, are a sinner. And so we must confess that to God. We've all have sinned and fallen short. We need to be honest with ourselves, and then we need to confess our sins to God. Look at what John says in the next verse. He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, when we are able to be honest with ourselves, we will then be able to be honest with God and it will lead us to confess our sins to God. And when we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just, and He will forgive us and purify us. Honesty and confession to God are keys when we are examining our hearts. And our motives. So if we want to check our motives, we want to check our hearts. We need to ask ourselves, who is getting the recognition? Is it me or is it God? And then we need to examine ourselves by by being honest with ourselves and being honest with God and confessing our sins to God. And finally, we need to confess our sins to each other. James writes in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James says that we are to not only confess our sins to God, but we are to confess our sins to each other. Friends, we need each other if we are going to check our motives and our hearts. We need other followers of Jesus whom we can trust, whom we can confess our sins and our shortcomings and be held accountable and be encouraged and be prayed for. Because there are times like David in the Old Testament when we are so wrapped up in ourselves that we are blinded to our own sin and we have bought into the lie that we are either without sin or that everything is about us. And so we need other people like Nathan to speak truth into our lives and Help us to call out sin in us. We need others who will pray with us and encourage us and hold us accountable. We need a community of followers that we can connect with and that can help us to see the sin that we miss. We need others to help us see our blind spots. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way, that we build strong relationships walking side by side through the messiness of life with prayer, accountability, and encouragement. And friends, we do that here at at Journey Church in life groups. And if you're not part of a life group, you need to get plugged into a life group, whether it's one that's part of Journey Church or or one out in the community somewhere else. You need other followers of Jesus to walk side by side with you through the messiness of life. If we are going to check our motives, we need other followers of Jesus to pray with us, to encourage us, and to hold us accountable. We need each other because we are better together. Friends, if we want to check our hearts, if we want to check our motives, we need to ask, who is getting the recognition for this? Is it me or is it God? We need to examine ourselves with honesty and confession to God, and we need to confess our sins also to each other. And life groups are a great place for us to find other followers of Jesus whom we can build trust with, whom we can be held accountable and encouraged, and pray with. We, when we give, when we pray, when we fast, are we doing those things so that we are seen, or so that God is seen? Check your motives. Repent, and turn to God. And may God alone be praised and honored, in our lives, and through these spiritual disciplines. we pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it guides us and directs us. We thank you for the example that your son Jesus has left for us, that he has shown us the importance of giving. He has shown us the importance of prayer. He has shown us the importance of fasting. And so, Father, help us to not only to make these a part of our lives as followers of you, but, Father, help us to constantly, to always be checking our motives, to be checking our hearts and weighing our hearts, to make sure that we are giving and praying and fasting for your glory and not our own. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves and be honest with you. Help us to confess our sins to you. And Father, help us to confess our sins to each other. We thank you that you have not put us in this life alone, that you have not put us here all by ourselves, but you had given us each other because we we can't do it on our own. Not only do we need each other, but we need your Holy Spirit and we need your Son. So, Father, we thank you for giving us everything that we need. Father, would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Would you give us our daily bread? Would you forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us? Would your will be done in our lives, in our marriages, in Journey Church, in our community? Father, we praise you for who you are and all that you have done. Father, it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to move into our time of communion, commitment, and prayer. And during this time, if you are here and you have never repented of your sins and met Jesus in baptism, and you're ready to do that today, you're ready to come and die to yourself and start living for God, man, I'm going to be out in the lobby. Come and talk with me today. I'd love to have that conversation with you and love to study Scripture with you if that's what you would like to talk about. Or if you just need some prayer or some encouragement, I'm going to be out there. Please come. I'd love to pray with you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, we invite you to join us in this time of communion. And, and we, we read Paul's words and, you know, we were looking at them in the context of, of, uh, of these spiritual disciplines and checking our motives. But we need to do this when we partake in communion as well. You know, communion for us is a reminder we take the bread and it reminds us of the body of Jesus. We take the cup and it reminds us of his blood that he poured out for us. It reminds us of his sacrifice. And so as Paul told us there in 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourselves, check your motives, be honest with yourself and be honest with God and confess your sins now to him so that when you partake, you are ready to remember and you are ready to proclaim. If you didn't grab communion on your way in, you can raise your hand. We've got some guys in the back that will bring it to you at your seat. When you're ready, let's partake and let's remember together. I'll be out in the lobby if you need to talk or pray.